Hello, bitch, and welcome to my podcast. My name is Katie, and welcome back to another episode. Now, today's topic is going to be a start of a mini-series that I'll be doing over the next few episodes. As you may or may not know, I'm very educated in narcissistic personality disorder from one, personal experience when I dated a narcissist, and two, the independent research I undertook to understand that experience. I have read so many journal articles, books, threads, and stories all to comprehend personality disorders because my brain isn't wired like theirs. So for me, it was difficult to comprehend why people behave in a certain way. So I took a very enthusiastic approach to understand NPD for my own peace of mind and for achieving closure in my personal relationship experience. There's a meme I once saw on Instagram, which I completely relate to, and it goes, who was happily looking for a soulmate but feels like they ended up with a degree in psychology specializing in narcissistic personality disorder. And yes, bitch, that's me. So now that I have this education in NPD, as well as being a true crime enthusiast, I wanted to explore the psychology of serial killers because once I became more educated in NPD, I started to identify a pattern in true crime. And that pattern is that serial killers aren't just the run-of-the-mill psychopaths. Um, We can't just write them off like that because in fact, they exhibit personality disorders, which actually drive them to their murders. And a majority of these serial killers are narcissistic. So if you're into true crime and are interested in the psychological perspective of serial killers and well-known true crime cases, then this mini series will illuminate the mind. So let's just start off with this fascination a lot of us have with serial killers. I mean, these people are evil and they have been undertaking the most heinous acts, but we all can't help ourselves from watching true crime TV shows, documentaries, listening to podcasts, and why is that? So a theory that I looked into was this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. So basically people like you and me are interested in true crime because serial killers appear completely normal from the outside. They may have jobs, they could be married, they could be an activist in the community, But then it's like shock horror, my neighbor or my husband has been killing people. So the fact that a person can seem completely average and normal, but then has this dark side, it intrigues us and it causes us to actively wonder about the dark side of human behavior. From my research, the average serial killer profile is white, male, low to middle socioeconomic status, is in his 20s or 30s, has a history of childhood abuse or neglect, is a sociopath or psychopath, and is a chameleon to his environment where he appears completely normal to others. So it's pretty established and well understood that serial killers do blend in among us. And I think this is what interests us. And I think what makes us really interested is the fact that it's it's quite mind boggling how a person can engage in such violent behaviors. And for myself, it is the mind that interests me the most. It's not so much the brutality of their actions as fucked up as they are. It's more so about what is going on with them psychologically to arrive at the place that they're at to be able to do what they did. So let's get into today's podcast, Serial Killers and Narcissists.
I'm going to start by saying that the main conclusion found by the majority of academics over the decades is that most serial killers have been described as the psychopathic personality type and that these serial killers have been diagnosed or could be diagnosed with one or more personality disorders, including narcissistic personality disorder. This conclusion comes from a common line of thinking that serial killers are inevitably narcissistic sociopaths and psychopaths. Psychopaths. And it's argued by some academics that most serial killers are not just narcissists, but they are malignant narcissists. So narcissism can be looked at as one on a spectrum where the scale is one of severity. And I should put a disclaimer in here that a lot of people possess narcissistic traits, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they fall into an official NPD diagnosis. So according to a 2005 study, approximately one percent of the general population have been found to have NPD. And also this study found that NPD is more common among men than women. <clears throat> this study also looked at other personality disorders. So for example, it looked at antisocial personality disorder. Now we're going to get into antisocial personality disorder a little bit further in, but APD, so that's antisocial personality disorder, was found in 3.5% of the population. And this study also found that men are seven times more likely to have this condition. So basically that means APD occurs in 3% of men and about 1% of women, roughly. And side note, even though these statistics, are, they seem kind of low, you know, 1%, 4%, whatever, but that shouldn't detract from the fact that these individuals wreak so much havoc on society. Their excessive amount of violence causes so much social distress. So I feel like it is important to note that possessing narcissistic traits does not necessarily indicate a personality disorder. The percentage of people who have personality disorders is relatively small. However, what I will say, and this is supported by research, that although someone may not have an official diagnosis of NPD, any person who has narcissistic behaviors is difficult to deal with. And those behaviors will always and inevitably have a detrimental and negative impact on any relationship. Now, when I say relationship, this varies between family relationships, work relationships, friendships, and romantic relationships. And in a romantic setting, I think this is personally worse um, because unfortunately, NPD in romantic relationships is uh, my specialty. But the reason why narcissistic behaviors will have a negative impact on a romantic relationship is because these people inherently lack empathy. So it prevents them from understanding their partner's needs and makes it virtually impossible for them to fall in love and build a trusting, equal partnership and establish fulfilling long-term relationships. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. For narcissists, all their relationships are transactional. They see people as commodities. What can I get out of this person? What can then this person provide for me? And they will only enter into a relationship for positive attention and sexual satisfaction to bolster their ego and self-esteem. Because as we know, narcissists get bored very easily and very quickly. Why, you may ask? Well, because they have the EQ of a child. So once they've conquered you, the idealization wears off. So it's like a kid playing with a shiny new toy. And once the relationship finds its routine, 
routine. Narcissists become complacent. They lose interest and start looking for attention and supply elsewhere. And I remember I read this post on Quora, you know, my favorite little website, and someone had put this entire situation into a simple sentence. And I'm going to reiterate it for you. And they said, the moment that a narcissist conquers winning you over in a relationship is the day the clock starts ticking till your discard. The reason why narcissists are stuck in this pattern of using and mistreating people is because they are continuously chasing their imperative need to fulfill a deep void of sense of worth and sense of self. Because behind this external facade of being fun, charismatic, charming, being the life of the party, narcissists are depressed people with low self-esteem and lack the ability to truly connect with people, they suffer every single morning they wake up. I've read so many articles where psychologists report that it's common for their patients who have been diagnosed with MPD, that they feel this hole in their chest. It's like this empty feeling every morning they wake up and they open their eyes and they just don't know how to cope. So they are really miserable people and it makes sense why they treat people like shit. But to really identify if someone is a narcissist or simply just has narcissistic traits, we are going to do a deep dive into what an official diagnosis of NPD looks like. So according to the American Psychiatric Association, an official diagnosis of NPD requires the presence of at least five of the following nine criteria. So I'm going to read it out, okay? Number one, a grandiose sense of self-importance. Number two, a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, a belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high-status people or institutions. Four, the need for excessive admiration. Five, a sense of entitlement. Six, interpersonally exploitive behavior. Seven, a lack of empathy. Eight, envy of others or a belief that others are envious of him or her. And nine, a demonstration of arrogant and conceited behaviors or attitudes. So for those who are diagnosed with MPD, they will also have difficulty in at least two of the following four areas. So one, effective, the way that they respond to people emotionally. Two, cognitive, the way that they think about themselves and others. Three, impulsive control base. So this is the way they control one's behavior. Four, interpersonal, the way that they relate to others. So in summary, if someone has five out of those nine traits, which is actually a big chunk out of that list, and also has difficulty in at least two of those four areas I just mentioned. So they have difficulty responding emotionally. They have difficulty in the way they think about themselves and the way that they control their behavior and difficulty in the way they relate to people. Bitch, they're a narcissist and the only way to treat them, sadly, is with intense therapy and medication, specifically antidepressants, antipsychotics, and mood stabilizers. And I'm not even kidding, okay? I actually signed up to a website for medical students to get this information. So that is pretty much how a diagnosis is made by professionals. Now let's look at the different types of narcissism because there's eight different types. So I'm going to run through them. Healthy narcissism, grand grandiose narcissism, which is actually known as overt narcissism. Then we have vulnerable narcissism, which is also known as covert narcissism, malignant narcissism, sexual narcissism, somatic narcissism, cerebral narcissism, and spiritual narcissism. Now, I'm not going to go into all of these eight in detail because we will be here for hours. This isn't the Titanic, 
But I will highlight three main types that are often talked about. And I think it's important to educate ourselves on these three types because they are the most common and it will be able to help you identify the narcissist in your life. The three main types are covert, overt, and malignant narcissists. Now, essentially, they're all the same, but from my research, it is how they display their behavior and the severity that varies. So we're going to start with a covert narcissist. Now, covert narcissists are regarded as those who crave admiration, lack empathy towards others, and are introverted. They appear passive and quiet and even shy. They are often careful not to appear as arrogant because they fear that others may put them in their place so they actually save their true selves for those closest to them covert narcissists have pathologically low self-confidence and so they require validation from others to feel whole so basically they have serious victim mentalities and use this to emotionally manipulate people then we have the overt narcissists and these ones are very obvious to identify because they tend to be loud arrogant and insensitive to the needs of others and all Always a thirsty for compliments. Overt narcissists need to be the center of attention and they will have no problem being loud and arrogant and brag about how great they are. Um, they need constant validation from others to feel good about themselves. And if you don't validate them, they will jump from supply to supply to find someone who will validate them. Then we have the malignant narcissists. Now, malignant narcissists are those who inhibit general traits of NPD, have antisocial personality disorder, traits of sadism and paranoia. So there's a lot going on with a malignant narcissist. This combination is the reason why they are often considered as the most dangerous. For the purpose of this podcast, we are going to focus on the severe end of the spectrum, which is a malignant narcissist, as malignant narcissism is identified in many serial killers. So let's get into malignant narcissists. What are they? Social psychologist Eric Fromm first coined the term malignant narcissism in 19. 1964, describing it as a severe mental disorder. He called malignant narcissism the quintessence of evil. Malignant narcissists are considered by a majority of experts as the most severe subtype of narcissism, and it is regarded as the most damaging. Kernberg was one of the first academics to discuss malignant narcissism in psychoanalytic literature. So in his 1984 research, he identified the four features of malignant narcissism and we're going to be discussing them. The four features are one, core traits of narcissistic personality disorder, two, antisocial personality disorder, three, egocentric sadism towards themselves or others, and four, a deeply paranoid orientation towards life. So let's first discuss general traits of NPD. Now I know I've spoken at length about NPD in my previous episode, but I'm just going to do a brief rundown. So narcissists at their core have the following features. So they display a grandiose behavior. So this behavior is pretty much the preoccupation of beliefs of self-importance, achievement, superiority, sex appeal, and expectations of obedience and admiration from others. They also have little or lack of empathy for people and their feelings. They are addicted um, to the need for attention and recognition. Inside, they are deeply insecure and experience depression. They have troubled relationships, both personal and at work. 
work, they constantly seek the perfect fantasy love, usually over and over. So that's why they will jump from supply to supply. And they'll always get bored with the supply once the idealization wears off and they get complacent in routine. Uh, They take advantage of people and exploit them for personal gain. They are quick to anger when others don't regard them with the admiration that they feel that they deserve. They have arrogant and conceited behaviors and attitudes, and they have real difficulty dealing with change, managing their emotions, and responding to stress. Moving on to antisocial personality disorder. Now, this is quite the disorder. I know we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm going to run through the list of characteristics. So people with APD have consistent disregard for other people's feelings, manipulation and deceit, physical or emotional abuse towards others, a lack of remorse for wrongdoing. They are violent and aggressive. In their childhood, they may display violence towards other people and animals, vandalism or theft. They have zero regard and care about the consequences of their actions. They have a disdain for authority and social norms. And this is displayed by their continued illegal and law-breaking behavior. They have a pattern of deceit, including exploitation and manipulation of other people. They are reckless and impulsive, showing complete disregard for personal safety and the safety of others. They have little or no remorse for harmful or illegal actions. They have a pattern of irresponsible, arrogant, and disrespectful behavior, and they have difficulty planning ahead. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry, but that list is so triggering. And I really wish I knew what APD was when I did my first episode. And then we have egocentric sadism. So the definition of sadism is taking pleasure in humiliating someone or causing someone pain. So essentially people with sadistic tendencies will enjoy hurting others and watching them experience pain. They spend a lot of time fantasizing about hurting people. Um, They want to hurt others when they are irritated and angry. They enjoy humiliating others, especially in public situations. They're controlling and domineering. Uh, They get sexual excitement from seeing other people in pain. And so this is kind of where sexual sadism comes into play because sexual sadism is displayed a lot in serial killers. And sexual sadism is a disorder that involves sexual arousal to the idea of causing a non-consenting person unwanted pain. And lastly, we have paranoia. So malignant narcissists do not trust anyone. Um, They are overly suspicious of everyone and believe that everyone is out to get them. So it's been argued by many academics that this paranoia likely stems from the fact that they seek to manipulate others for their own personal gain. So they then believe that everyone else acts the same or has the capacity to. Now getting into some statistics, a 2005 study found that narcissistic personality disorder is found in 10% of people who have other psychiatric disorders, including depression, bipolar disorder, alcoholism, and other personality disorders, including borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. So just to explain what that means, really simply, NPD is found in people who have other disorders, such as alcoholism, depression, APD, bipolar, etc. And this study also looked at antisocial personality disorder, and it found that 70% of people who are diagnosed with APD are also diagnosed with other disorders, including alcoholism, substance abuse disorders. So basically what all these statistics show is that a lot of these disorders kind of run 
with each other. So for example, someone with NPD could also have APD, alcoholism and other issues as well. And then someone with APD can also have NPD and all these other disorders. So basically all this means is that personality disorders are very complex and they do have other correlating disorders that go with it as well. Now I know I've mentioned the term empathy quite a lot and how narcissists lack the ability to be empathetic towards others. So let's quickly define empathy because most serial killers do not have empathy. Um, so to have empathy means that you have the ability to imagine, you have self-awareness and self-consciousness, uh, you acknowledge the existence of other people and you have the ability to access feelings, desires, ideas and representations of actions and understand outcomes by empathizing to another person. Now that we understand and are more aware of the four features, so NPD, APD, sadism and paranoia, I have compiled a list which pretty much gives you a snapshot of the characteristics of a malignant narcissist and so this will be helpful when we talk about serial killers. So let's just go down the list. Uh, they give the appearance of being self-sufficient and successful. They have an inflated sense of self and are overly concerned about their appearance. Covertly, they are fragile, vulnerable, and sensitive to criticism. They have hidden insecurity and a weak sense of self. They are highly manipulative. They will seek to win at all costs. They cannot handle criticism at all and will lash out when they feel insulted. If they fail to succeed in their grandiose efforts, it will result in prominent mood swings, irritability, rage, and feelings of emptiness. They have an inability to self-regulate. They lack empathy for others. They also do not care about the pain that they cause others. So they actually enjoy it and find it empowering. Um, they have no remorse for hurting others and they have no interest in apologizing unless it benefits them. They see the world in black and white and they will do whatever it takes to prevent themselves from loss or inconvenience. They take Take advantage of others to get what they want and they have this expectation of being treated as superior and they have a tendency to blame others for their own bad behavior. Let's now look at how all this information ties into serial killers. So let's look at the link between serial killers and personality disorders. It has been argued that the importance of learning about a serial killer's personal constructions of meaning positions us to be able to identify the motivations underlying in their repeated acts of killing. So essentially, experts have attempted to deal with criminal behavior and violence by trying to make meaning of these people and their acts. So a majority of academics have identified that murder is related to mental illness. However, there are few homicides that are committed by severely mentally ill or psychotic people. The actual link between mental illness and murder is personality disorders. In other words, one's predisposition towards murder is more so related to personality traits as opposed to psychotic state. So for example, murder is more common in individuals with a personality disorder such as APD and NPD rather than individuals with a psychotic illness such as schizophrenia. This is exemplified in a 1998 case study which concluded that serial homicide was a psychopathological condition. There was also a 2001 study where two-thirds of murderers that were assessed had been diagnosed with a personality disorder. Most of these people were diagnosed with cluster B 
personality disorders. And so cluster B personality disorders is antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and borderline personality disorder. So essentially the link between serial killers and personality disorders has been consistently found in studies and research in psychoanalytic literature. And I think we can all agree with that because serial killers, they're not fucking normal. There's nothing ordinary about the sadistic torture and killing in pursuit of sexual gratification and intense psychological pleasure when inflicting pain and suffering on people. For narcissism, it has been argued that in the last 15 years, as narcissism has been better understood, a link has been identified between pathological narcissism and serial homicide, narcissistic personality disorder, narcissistic injury, underlying feelings of inadequacy, humiliation, self-glorifying compensatory fantasies have all been understood as important factors in understanding the psychology of a serial killer. So in other words, (laughs) as we have become more understanding of narcissism, it has actually assisted in understanding the grandiose posturing of serial killers and the psychological roots of their behavior. It has been argued by many academics and experts that people with narcissistic personality disorder are so addicted to feeling special that they constantly lie, manipulate, use people, cheat, and do whatever it takes to fulfill their deep void of no self-worth and to generate a high, which they think is happiness. So you can see that NPD on the severe end of the spectrum where narcissistic injury and rage occurs can lead to extreme violence. So now we're going to bring it back. Okay, we're going to bring it back to the beginning of where it all begins. And you know, we're going to their childhood. I actually find this part the most fascinating. Um, So with the development of a malignant narcissist, it starts with their childhood. So it's been found that there is a strong possibility that it was their parents who had lacked the capacity to provide empathy. They lacked the ability to contain infantile rage and they lacked the ability to adequately respond to a child's grandiose exhibitionist mirroring and idolizing needs. So it is argued that parental figures may have provided for their children's physical needs but neglected their emotional needs. Studies in psychoanalytical research have outlined two significant pre-to-pool and eatable tasks for caretakers that are crucial for the psychological development of a child. So the first task for caretakers is that they must delight and encourage the infant's interest and spontaneous enjoyment. A 1990 study explained that in this task, the infant needs to be able to discover his or her capacity and the ability ability to light up the mother's face as this provides a fundamental basis of self-image and self-esteem. Another study in 1999 argued that understanding the appeal of one's effects or feelings constitutes trust in oneself and the capacity to develop a sense of self-worth and confidence. The second task for caretakers is to provide sufficient support for the child when negative effects are experienced so that the child can learn to cope in future with painful feelings. It can be understood that trauma in early childhood from the neglect of caretakers in performing these two tasks, and especially in the stages of the attachment system between mother and child, actually damages the right orbiofrontal function, and thereby it impairs social and moral behavior that lends to a lack of empathy, impaired emotional regulation, aggression, problems with the recognition of anger, and problems with mentalization. So from a lot of my 
research, there is some weird shit that goes on between mother and child and it really comes down to them in their early formative years. And I really feel like it dictates the type of person you grow into because it's a running theme that any neglect that comes from the mother being cold and uncaring towards a child has a lot to do with the disturbances in a personality as someone grows up. Many experts and academics have concluded that the failure of these two significant tasks relates to the origins of the psychopathology of serial killers. So they argue that there is no verbal memory for early relational trauma, but the damaged core appears later in personality problems that reflect the trauma. These studies indicate that it comes down to the attitude of the parents of a child where their behavior is controlling and sadistic. So in saying that, Parental figures really play a major role in how personality of a child was formed, and it's commonly found in serial killers that their childhood involved a demand on the child that they had to be tough, had to tolerate pain, show no emotion, and learn to manipulate others. And these children who would grow up in these environments would often perceive that this discipline was unfair, hostile, abusive, and inconsistent. So they have this kind of rage that is building in them from a really young age. In a 1977 study, it looked at families who had produced children with NPD and it found that the parental figures had impeded the development of mirroring capacities and empathy on the child. And a 1992 study looked at the the families who had produced children with APD, and it found that the parental figures were self-absorbed, neglectful, and cruel. And it also found that there was frequent drinking, violence, inconsistent rules, and a lack of recognition of the constructive and empathetic behavior for the child. The conclusion is that in response to early injuries such as childhood abuse, neglect and trauma, a narcissist buries their feelings of unworthiness and powerlessness and replaces them with a rigid compensatory false self. And because all their energy is invested in maintaining and fueling their grandiose and entitled self-image, it is inevitable that their relationships derail and their capacity for psychological growth is stunted. And for narcissism in its pathological extreme, you know, we're talking about malignant narcissists here, their behavior and way of thinking can lead to forms of violence such as stalking, battering and murder. So it's argued that serial killers who are malignant narcissists where there is NPD and APD, they enjoy inflicting pain and prolonging the suffering of the victim because the enraged attacks that they carry out derive from feelings that are directed at those who symbolically represent early tormentors such as parents. So these aggressive attacks on a victim can be understood as a symbolic expression of their hate for the world. So in essence, serial killers vent their rage and envy against a hateful and rejecting world by attacking and brutalizing others. And in such attacks, serial killers unconsciously reenact their childhood pain and helplessness in a relentless fantasy of claiming revenge. So it's been consistently understood that people who unfortunately have had these kinds of upbringings will have developmental disturbances that 
that will give rise to inadequate and a fragile sense of self and intense feelings of hate and revenge. So these developmental disturbances are later displayed in personality disorders. So now we are going to discuss how these disturbances are displayed in the four key features of a malignant narcissist. So these four features, as you remember, NPD, APD, sadism, and paranoia. So we're going to look at how it can be identified in the acts committed by serial killers. So let's start with NPD. So it's said that behavioral issues of grandiosity, entitlement, and a callous disregard for the feelings of others leads to a serial killer's demand for attention from others, the need to feel a sense of entitlement, and feeling immune to the consequences of their actions. So let's just look at the demands for attention. So with the demands for attention from others and the need to feel a sense of entitlement, and we know that this is uh, narcissistic supply and the attention that they need from others to function, it's pretty much their lifeblood. So with serial killers, they actively seek recognition. It has been argued that this is one of the reasons why some serial killers often admit to murders that they have not committed. There have been so many true crime stories I've come across where the serial killer confesses to more murder than what the detectives can actually confirm is true because the remains haven't been found or maybe the timeline doesn't make sense. And so the body count is always almost undetermined. And for a lot of serial killers, they also preserve mementos, you know, their little trophies. (laughs) So um, they do that and they also revisit crime scenes because they want that supply. And I feel like when serial killers do this, it boosts their supply and their ego in the sense of entitlement and power that they have have over the victim. And from my research, there has been many conclusions that a serial killer derives pleasure and gratification from having control over their victim, and they consider themselves to be a master at what they do. This desire for power and control over the victim continues after death, which is why we see some serial killers often return to the scene of the crime, and they return to the body for further mutilation. And sometimes when there is dismembering of the body, serial killers often keep some of the body parts. So what this comes down to is control and power that stems from the demand for attention and feeling entitled for that narcissistic supply. So now we're going to look at uh, this whole feeling immune to their actions part of it. So it's been argued that the very combination of narcissism and a cerebral configuration in which regions related to empathy are significantly deficient leads to serial killers being totally indifferent to the suffering of their victims. Also, with the lack of empathy, it pretty much means that serial killers are rarely affected by their emotions and such emotions will not influence their behavior in given situations. So because they don't feel the same level of emotion or care about the emotions of others, they are able to function in a way that is very different from people like you and me. And the root of this indifference and disconnection to a victim's suffering can be understood in the actual killing of victims. So by killing their victims, the serial killer owns them and serial killers like narcissists believe themselves to be so special and that they own their supplies or victims. So basically having these characteristics of NPD plays a major part in the act of a killing. And I personally think that having these disturbances in your personality and being so supercilious would definitely aid to someone being able to commit a violent act. So now let's look at APD. 
So experts have confirmed that behavioral issues are exhibited in criminal behavior, impulsivity, poor behavioral controls, the need for stimulation, and a parasitic lifestyle. So people with APD may lie, act out violently, break the law, and show no remorse. So it's been understood that the APD behavioral pattern of contempt and disregard for the safety and rights of other people with no feelings of regret, guilt, remorse, and compassion is the basis in the acts of a serial killer. For people who are diagnosed with APD, their behavioral issues can be identified at a really young age. And this is displayed in their aggression and violence towards others and animals. And this is typically before the age of 15. So there's also other acts that they do, whether it's petty crimes, truancy, running away, and other deviant behaviors, which is regarded as early warning signs of developing APD. So it's been understood that APD a young person is closely linked to adult criminal behaviors if not kept in check. A 2013 study indicated that once someone is labeled with APD, it makes life really difficult for them and it makes it difficult for them to maintain a normal lifestyle and keep away from criminal behavior. So it's been understood that due to the lack of morals um, in their conduct, people with APD present a recurrence immoral and and socially reprehensible behavior, and they continue to violate the law. But quick disclaimer, not everyone who is diagnosed with APD is a serial killer, okay? Just like how having NPD doesn't mean you're a serial killer either, but you can see that the characteristics in these personality disorders essentially makes you really disconnected from the very foundation of being a loving human being. And you can see how violent and atrocious acts can be committed. Now, moving on to the third element, which is sadism. So behavioral issues are displayed in the arousal of the act of killing itself. It has been regarded that someone who feels pleasure from the suffering of others is a compelling element in the psychology of a serial killer. So sadistic tendencies are usually something that has been developing in a serial killer since they were a child. And they have this rage towards others and they often show cruelty in animals and to their peers. But as they get older, their rage grows. And that's when they act out in abuse, mutilation and murder all to achieve sexual pleasure. There have been so many studies on this where it was found that a majority of serial killers have had a long and devastating period of social deprivation and psychological neglect during their childhood. And many of them have family histories of mental illness, drug and alcohol abuse and criminal activity. And additionally, many of them experience serious emotional abuse and have developed into sexually disturbed functional adults. A common trait that has been identified in the biographies of serial killers is that they personally claim to experience euphoria during their murders. So they have this intense arousal that derives from the torture and killing of victims, which is identified as sexual sadism. So serial killers are excited by the sight of suffering and the helplessness of their victims who they experience as objects. There are five different classifications when it comes to the sadistic element of serial killers. So I hope you're going to follow along. It's going to be very detailed, this information, but the five different classifications 
classifications are the visionary, mission-oriented, hedonistic, control-oriented, and predatory. But I'm going to focus on hedonistic serial killers because they are the ones who murder for pleasure and thrill. And this type is also reclassified into three subtypes. So try to follow along. We're going to go down a bit of a rabbit hole, but the three different subtypes is lust-oriented, thrill-oriented, and comfort-oriented. So starting with the lust-oriented. Now, this is also subclassified again. So they can be disorganized, asocial, or organized, non-social. So you can look at these terms if you're interested, but basically the difference is that the disorganized one is the type of killer who is usually dumb, okay? Um, They are also socially and sexually incompetent. So their crimes are pretty spontaneous and they involve random victims where they sexually violate the body even after death and they leave the body and the weapon together. Now with the organized one, they are usually intelligent and are socially and sexually competent. So they target in more of a strategic manner and they target a stranger and are aggressive with the victim prior to death and they demand for them to get into submission. So usually in this scenario, the bodies and weapons are discarded and hidden and these killers are very self-centered and they are fully aware of their criminal nature. And then we have the comfort one. So this type of killer usually kills for profit. So these are the ones who kill to inherit some kind of money for business gain or other material reward. And this type of killer will be the one who will kill his or her spouse for inheritance. And it's reported that low key, this is the category where most women serial killers often fall into. But while I'm here, I should also mention a little bit about the other types of sadistic killers. So as I mentioned before, we have the control oriented and the predatory. So with the control oriented, it is the type of killer who receives gratification from having power over their victims. They really enjoy the thrill of deciding whether the victim will live or die and how and when. And they also receive gratification from the attention that they receive from the victim during the killing. Uh, These killers often have a deep fantasy life. With the predatory sadistic killer, they are attracted to the hunt and the kill. And honestly, I think these are probably the worst in my opinion, because they kill for sport. They view killing as a recreational activity and their goal in hunting and killing of innocent people is not for any other reason other than to murder for fun. So basically with sadism, the abusive and neglectful experience that a serial killer has while growing up contributes to their need to control the victim and their sadistic association between sex and violence is due to the fact that the killer has not reached emotional maturity and they cannot deal with their violent and sadistic fantasies in an appropriate way. With paranoia, which is the fourth element of a malignant narcissist, the developmental issues are displayed in the impulsive and paranoid attitude of a serial killer who engages in criminal thinking. So the paranoia is experienced by serial killers through feelings of persecution, suspiciousness, and excessive sensitivity. So by understanding these four features, we are able to understand why serial killers commit violent acts. By possessing a combination of NPD, APD, sadism, and paranoia, it makes it easier for us to understand the psychology of a serial killer. But as I said before, there are other important features that assist in understanding the psychology of a serial killer, including narcissistic injury and narcissistic 
narcissistic rage. So it's understood that when a true narcissistic personality is challenged, the narcissist can become unpredictable and dangerous and they're ego is bruised to the point where they adversely react. So narcissistic injury is used as a term that describes anything that threatens a narcissist's ego and self-esteem because as we know, narcissists are vulnerable and very sensitive to criticism and defeat. So when a narcissist is injured and there is narcissistic injury, they may not show it outwardly. But any criticism will haunt a narcissist and will leave them feeling humiliated, degraded, hollow, and empty. And they will subsequently react with either disdain, rage, or a defiant counterattack. Now, let's just quickly define what narcissistic rage is. So narcissists who are inflicted with narcissistic injury will lash out in narcissistic rage. So this is when they are violated to their core and they will act out aggressively. So it's argued that serial killers like narcissists have the ability to pocket their rage until they are in an appropriate setting to unleash it. So a serial killer may pocket their emotion until it is time to make the kill and their kill finally allows for emotional release to unleash repressed anger, hurt and rage. And this is supported in studies that concluded that narcissists hoard their rage and when injured, they can become very violent and fly into narcissistic rage. From my research, these impulsive rage attacks are a major channel for the instinctual gratification for a malignant narcissist. And because of the very possibility for severe narcissistic injury to lead to extreme aggressive attacks, it is confirmed that the logical progression is that it can also lead to murder. So overall, it is widely accepted that all serial killers have high levels of personality disorders. And for most of them, this includes narcissistic personality disorder. So it's understood that the acts of killers is not due to some kind of mental illness like schizophrenia and their psychotic state at the time, but it really comes down to a personality disorder that they have. For narcissists, they commonly share traits of a sense of entitlement, interpersonal exploitation, and a lack of empathy. And it is in these traits that are exhibited in a serial killer's lack of remorse and guilt, being impulsive, the need for control, the search for sensation, and their behavior, which is quite predatory in nature. But good news, guys, good news. Um, psychologists can actually test for NPD and APD in people at a young age and hopefully can intervene before the person gets older, before they become violent and ends up in the legal system due to their actions. Because look, from what we can see, it is a strong common theme throughout all of this, that it is the childhood of serial killers that plays an integral part to their development. And the issue is personality is something that becomes increasingly more solidified over time. So any problematic behaviors such as violence can be more easily treated when an individual is at an earlier developmental level. However, if these behaviors are ignored, then and look, it's going to be unfortunate for everyone. And that's just a fact. So I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know it was so packed with so much information. I spent six weeks researching this one. I went in. So I hope you found it informative. I hope you learned something today and get ready for the next couple of episodes where we will be discussing some notorious serial killers. Bye.